Hi, my name is Divya and welcome to Articulate. I have started this podcast for students of art to create an archive and a community by speaking with them about their ideas, inspirations and experiences. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to an established artist. Her name is Deepa Khanna Sopti. She is based in Singapore but of Indian origin and she is re- renowned for her abstract expressionist works that are accompanied by original poems. Longing for a reason to explore the deeper meaning of life, she left her career in banking in order to pursue her art and poetry. Deepa paints solely with a palette knife to give her paintings a more spontaneous and gestural feel that reminds us of the typically intuitive and emotional characteristics of action art brought to the scene by Jackson Pollock and Franz Klein where art is an act rather than an object a process rather than a product that touches the collective sense of an archetypal visual language Deepa has won um achieved uh, actually international success with multiple solo and group exhibitions across the world notably at the Vatican Spectrum Miami and the London Art Biennale she is the recipient of the Royal Arts Prize in 2016 Deepa's work has been published by the Saatchi Museum magazine and Art Republic magazine also the Bazaar magazine in Turkey She has a book on her works published by the International Confederation of Art Critiques. Her work is held in private collections across the world such as in Hong Kong, the US, UK and Dubai. So, so let's go ahead and um start talking with Deepa. Hi Deepa, how are you? Hey there. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> uh thanks again for um being so gracious and uh, agreeing to be a guest on my podcast. Um it's a real pleasure talking with you. Um how are you doing? All good, thanks. It's a pleasure also. Uh-huh. So, uh where are you based at the moment? I know that I mentioned that you are Singaporean, but um tell me about your um yourself, yeah, and where you're based at the moment. I'm in Singapore, so I am of uh, Indian origin. I was born in India, but I left India at 26 and uh, moved to Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, lived there for about 12 years and then moved to Singapore and have been here for about 13 years. So, yeah, uh, yeah I've been out of India for about uh, 25 years or so. Amazing. Yeah. So, um yeah, tell the listeners, do tell the listeners more about um yourself, your education. Uh like I said, you started off your career in banking. So, um tell us all about it, how it all started. Yeah, so um growing up in India, I think I just sort of followed the path that was laid out and more accepted in the world in which I lived, you know, family, mm. culture and all of that, where it was sort of established that you should become a doctor or a lawyer, a lawyer or yeah. somebody in finance, although being a girl perhaps they'd be okay if I just got married and, you know, spoke good English and all of that. And this is what uh, 20 25 years ago, so yeah, even more so I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, so I was a good kid and I just followed that path. I was good at uh, studies, very organized little girl and uh, loved math and just went down to do finance all the way. 
high school as well as uh, university and then postgraduate program mm. with a specialization in finance then went ahead to work as a fund manager in uh, India and then in Hong Kong uh, right. and I was quite successful in that definition in that world you know mm-hmm. um, but I think deep inside um, I was always a little bit torn because I was a philosophical person without ever having known that fully mm. And I was also an anxious child, always thinking too much, a bit different from everybody. I like drawing. I mean, I knew that that was conscious in me, that I love to draw. But I was not very good or anything. I copied stuff, you mm. know, wherever I could. Eyes, animals, faces, things like that. But did nothing with it more formally. Right. And in my family as well, there was nobody really doing arts or anything in the arts field. Yeah. And uh, then I think in Hong Kong, when uh, I was pregnant with my daughter, when I was about 30, I'm about 50 now. So uh, at that time, I just joined a hobby class for watercolors and then for drawing charcoals and enjoyed that. And um, then I came to Singapore with two children. I quit finance when my daughter was born, after she was born, just to sort of look at life differently. I thought I'd go back, but actually I never did. Mm. And uh, I... Started uh, thinking more about philosophy like that because I had always questioned uh, human suffering from a very very young age. Right. And I had found that uh, the environment in which I lived, and then I discovered in which most of the world lived, uh, was not able to adequately answer mm. why we suffer mm. and what suffering is, what death is, and most of our activities are about masking that pain. Or yeah. running away from it, or being distracted from it. Yeah, you know, and we're always rushing and doing the next thing and the next thing, and it's a very goal-based environment, which I feel uh, brings in a lot of stress because mm. every goal just needs the next goal, and it just goes on like that, and we're never slow, you know, enough to really uh, understand presence or being, which I think is the only thing that confers any joy or true happiness. It's all about so achievement and productivity and what you have, what have you done, and it still is yeah. like that, um, and even more so, I suppose, with with um, all the social media and everybody putting up their, you know, uh, the best selves. Uh, so I guess it has exacerbated. But then, uh, yeah, I mean, twenty five years ago, I suppose when. Um, talking about your inner self and uh, anxiety was something that nobody ever spoke about. It was more like a taboo topic, isn't it? Yeah, and I also feel that actually, if you really think you're a human being who's born and who's going to die, well, that's a pretty anxious framework in any case. So everybody's (laughs) anxious, you know, You, you can't get away from it. I think the degree is wary. Yeah. And the masking and the distraction varies. And perhaps genetics help, hormones, you know, help or not. But as such, if the basic thinking of the brain is that I am a separate person here, a small person in a big world out there, and anything can happen to me, and I need to defend myself, protect myself, and my happiness comes from five other people who I call family, and the rest of the world really doesn't matter. Although they're always there. Wherever I go, I'm always in the full world. But sorry, no, no. I only like five people and I just keep praying for their happiness, including this body, which I actually don't understand at all, but I keep calling it my body. So it's a very weird framework. If you look at it, it's a very unintelligent framework in which we seem to claim ownership. And when I say we, I'm using the language loosely. 
that the brain seems to think it owns this body when obviously it doesn't because it knows nothing about it consciously and the body is just completely connected to everything else you can't even say the body is connected to everything else there is only wholeness there is nothing separate that can say oh i'm here and you're there i mean that's just translation and all suffering basically occurs in that so i think this is where i've reached uh, at some point about 17 when i had a bit of a break after my grade 12 yeah um and bit before uni started um i had a few months i was in a new city and i was sort of grieving the loss of my granddad mm. who passed off and i had this huge fear of death that came up and i suppose most teenagers go through that and fear of death is something that all of us have we just don't sort of address it yeah, or look at like it. but if we did we'd mm. actually find out that there's no such thing as death and that is the freedom the freedom doesn't come by accepting death but by exploring what this framework is and there's no th- such thing as birth either wow so that is the freedom from both points because they're both inexperienced points you know there is never a beginning or an ending that's just memory and that's just thinking life is always immediate and it's always alive and it's always whole but uh, so in um, that, in in, sorry, in indian on. families you normally have gurujis where you can uh, um, you know go for in times of crisis or if you have to make decisions normally they are the, the kind of people who guide um families you know um, i had a guruji in my family so did you have somebody like that it's like a um personal kind of counselor come decision maker come enlightened soul so did you have somebody who kind of you could speak to about your uh, doubts about you know what you were going through and the fact that you know you had um, such deep um, thinking after your grandfather's death no unfortunately or maybe fortunately not uh, <laughs> yeah. my family was quite modern my dad was in the army oh, and very western and you know we moved around we went to you know very sort of social outgoing lives and uh, didn't really even have much religion in the house forget okay. about spirituality of a deeper nature I so i had to really or not i had to let's just say it was a random occurrence that occurred out of uh, extreme suffering in a sort of a young brain and a lot of free time a lot of lack of sleep mm. and coming to a corner that i couldn't get out of unless i change perspective i think that's all life does it just puts you in a corner and there is no way out mm. it puts you at a dead end where there is no way out other than exploring a new way of looking at the whole damn thing mm. that's what i think my brain did and as i had mentioned uh, to you so what did you do did you read up on stuff or did you just kind of keep no no i didn't so this is what i feel is universally there for every brain every brain already knows all this all these sort of wise things and big things are there in every brain because there is really only one universal brain so it's just a matter of where it's combusting you know where the food energy is sparking up and i think just randomly at that time due to all that was going on my hand just started writing because i was a good student and i used to learn by writing not mm. so much by reading mm. so i started writing this and there was something in me that started speaking to me i mean my hand started writing stuff asking sort of the scared girl or the scared person so it kept saying okay so you're very scared of dead bodies and i said yes i'm terrified it just spooks me and it you know creeps me out and i keep thinking about it and it said okay but what about the chicken in in the freezer isn't that a dead body yeah and i said well it is and it said well what's the difference is there a technical scientific any kind of a difference between a human dead body and a chicken's dead body and one you think is perfectly fine to even grill and marinate and eat tomorrow and the other freaks you out 
So I said, well, yeah, you're right. So I was actually talking to my hand, or you could say I was talking to another part of my brain. The scared part was being counseled or spoken to quite in a funny and in a humorous uh, way. Mm. But it was uh, wise stuff. And so that's how it started opening up. The fact that the way we live life, thinking that we are a person who's going to die and there's things to be scared of. And that sort of obviously limits our experience. Right. Because our experience in the world is a complete reflection of these beliefs and all these beliefs are in limitation, you know, that I'm scared or I'm ugly or I'm poor or, you know, whatever. And uh, we buy into that, the brain buys into that and that plays out and it goes on and on because it's an orbit, it forms. And so it can only repeat. Yeah. And there's constant yeah. suffering, which itself is the stress or the energy that the orbit feeds on. So all this just kept opening up in my brain. It was not very consciously lived for a long time. It, mm. I couldn't even talk about it or think even the thinking. Well, even now, sometimes thinking goes back to thinking that I'm a person here and oh gosh, me or, you know, but and this is well after what, 30 years or something, mm. 33 years. But slowly, yes, it trickled down. It changed the sort of experience of life. It brought about a lot of so-called miracles, but they were not miracles. They were just new perceptions, new reflections of a new brain, right? Of a new part of the brain that was lighting up, mm. which can happen to anybody. I mean, there's nobody that can take credit for it. It's just a random occurrence, like everything else. Everything else is also a random occurrence. But it, of course, opened up lots of new ways of looking at life, right? Because once you're out of the picture, the view really opens up. So right. when you and did your um, MBA, I know you did your MBA in one of the premier institutes in India, which was probably quite demanding and so completely um, got you, uh, you know, engrossed in the studies and in the case studies and work and stuff like that. Did that help you or did you have kind of a, a dilemma in your head that what you are going through and what your perception of your life is so different from what I'm doing at the what you were doing at the moment in in your MBA yeah. studies or whatever. So I think uh, at that time, of course, uh, like I said, this hadn't trickled down to actual changes in complete personality and behavior. Um, so I continued to do whatever I was doing, but slowly it did start to give me relief, and I started to check my thoughts. And, you know, because normally human beings are extremely self-centered and controlling, mm. which I was, you know, because that comes with the territory. That's the energetic setup. So I started to check that and say, oh, I mean, if you started to think differently or felt differently or why are you so important or what's so special about you? What's so unique about you? Right. And I realized there's nothing unique about me, but I was behaving as though there is. I mean, there's nothing unique about this body or this life or anything it says or produces. And that had a very good sort of humbling effect. So slowly, you're right, it did trickle into my mainstream life, but it took many years to do that. Mm -hmm. And I continued to do finance and I did well at it. Mm. But I became a compassionate person. I was always compassionate, but I was, you know, also now doing fun things in life, which earlier I couldn't because anxiety and suffering just makes you so constricted and narrow, right? You can't have fun. And you're not fun to be around, I'm sure. Mm. So uh, so slowly, I mean, I changed. And then, of course, I took decisions very easily, which I never would have thought I could. Which like is just what, to quit for finance example? altogether. Like, for, for example? 
personal decisions or, or I, I just quit finance altogether right which was a huge thing because i was you know the topper in my university at mba and i was a very good student uh, and all of that so people were amazed that i would do that but i did and i never looked back even mm. for a minute mm. so i completely then gave myself to philosophy or if one could call it that actually philosophy just makes it into an intellectual world what i would say is just a different way of a different perspective to be explored by the brain more and more and of course i became a mom and i was a very involved uh, mother with my daughter and then i took up art uh, a bit more but i never thought i would be doing art you could say professionally that just came to me um I mean everything from then on just came to me. I just stopped looking for anything from life. I think that's the big change. I so, had no goals anymore. Yeah. I mean that's interesting that when you say that you turned towards philosophy and art at some point um consciously or unconsciously they both kind of merged isn't it your art and philosophy you're able to express your kind of thinking through your um channeling of your um ideas on the canvas isn't it is that, is that what what happened i think i think it does although um the art part doesn't take place very consciously mm. the writing is more conscious now so the i started writing the poetry a bit earlier than so did you, oh you started art. writing first yeah okay yeah i started writing more when there was complete clarity in the brain about this otherwise you know there were still doubts in my brain that kept coming up but why do i feel this but why do i feel that what does that mean are there any other people are they not is there just the one is there none is there zero is there infinity you know so i had to sort that through because my brain wouldn't give up but when the peace came and when the full understanding or acceptance or the surrender came then i started writing about it because it was just a lovely thing to do and there was also more clarity in my brain so i wanted to express that mm-hmm. the art i joined again as a hobby class in singapore and i had no plans to do anything with any of these two things mm. uh, but i started spending a lot of time alone i think that's the other change that occurred mm. i still had my friends and I did things I love to do but I cut back on a lot of agenda driven things or things that you should do socializing for the sake do. of socializing socializing cut yeah, back yeah. and uh, commercial things mm. and uh, all of those I just couldn't do I lost interest in money anywhere I wasn't ever very interested in money but whatever little was there just stopped I started helping people doing more uh, charity work uh, you know with the money because we had money my husband and I both being in finance at one time and he still continues right so charity became a very big part of our life and um, and then I just got offered my first show just randomly sitting at my yeah, coffee tell, shop tell us that story to. yeah yeah tell us that story yeah so so I'm actually a creature of habit and I like to lead a simple life I go to the same coffee shop same table <laughs> every mm. day for the past 13 years and uh, I love it there I'm very grateful I I love every bit of that shop and everybody who's there I read uh, a couple of books now that I settled with and I read again and again. I had stopped reading after a while because there was no need, there was clarity and there was peace. So but I still liked um reading a little and writing. Uh and somebody was sitting across me at a shared table and she seemed interested in the title of my book and in me and we just chatted about philosophy and she asked me what I do and I said nothing I'm retired from finance mother of two. and she said yeah but what else do you do you're quite young to be retired and i said i paint a little like you know do some hobby stuff and she said what do you paint and i showed her one of my paintings um and she said oh i love it and i'm an art fair organizer and would you like to have a solo show i somehow wow. feel i'd like to show your work and i said yeah let's do it i mean there was no resistance um, um there was no doubting 
there was an immediate yes which was an unplanned thing but there was you no stress you said you didn't even uh, google her and you just kind of went for it kind of thing yeah i mean i trusted her i generally in any case trust life and i trust people otherwise the mind can't be at rest enough to produce anything of value you know yeah uh, if you're if you're too busy doubting and fearing and you know mistrusting and all of that so i i trust people and i said yes to her and and then i had my first show a few months later and it was very successful she liked my poems she had read them and it was her idea actually to pair the poems with the paintings i had not even thought of it she said i'd like to show your poems as well mm-hmm. to people why don't you put them together and i realized that both the art which was mainly abstract now and done with a palette knife because the palette knife for me is a is a real freedom tool it really has its own life in my hand i can mm-hmm. never plan it Mm. Yeah, tell us about that. The whole um, it's so interesting when uh, I thought about what you said after our discussion last time about how you you just you have that liberty of letting things happen, and you use your hand and your palette knife like an extension of your mind rather than your body. You just uh, it's such a amazing combination of meditation, going into a trance. and producing something so amazingly beautiful and um uh, emotionally um you know powerful don't you think is why don't you tell yeah. us how you do it like how do you do you kind of meditate first and you close your eyes and you think about it how do you lay out your palette of colors is there some kind of um ritual that you follow No, actually I can't follow any ritual because uh <laughs> I don't like uh too much method. Even when I cook, I mean I don't follow recipes. I just look at the ingredients and I uh, go from there. So when I paint, uh I might have a small idea in my head. I do collect a lot of photographs of things I see. Mm-hmm. As in when I look around, I don't see separate objects uh in my in my vision. I see lines intersecting and different color combinations, you see. Mm-hmm. So I take pictures which don't look like people but might be just seven or eight arms intersecting. Right. So I'm I'm then going to just paint the angles of lines and then do my own thing with it. That might be a starting point and I might find 5 minutes later that oh the arm, you know the lines have gone off and something else has come up. Mm. So when I'm painting there's a lot of love if that's the word for whatever comes up. I mean I never judge whatever's coming up because I use about 20 different colors at one time. Mhm. I'm using a palette knife which you can never predict how much paint it picks up because yeah. I only paint in pasto mostly. Mm-hmm. So it picks up and I only use oil paints so which are in themselves quite interesting because they're never the same thickness right with the oil a little bit here and there. and singapore climate so i love it that it's all very clunky and mm. uh, rustic right it's not methodical i do it on the floor of my bedroom wow and uh, i just uh, i just what about the color theory do you even decide on what kind of mood you want to create with your work do you even have kind of a um, vision no, in your head no it's actually it? more of an energetic thing i don't have words for it Mm-hmm. I just feel the surge sometimes hey let's paint I'm excited mm-hmm. and it's done very fast so there's no knowing later when I look at it when it finishes say 4 hours later 5 hours later I am myself amazed by what did I put first what did I put later oh, and if I want to copy my own painting which I have tried I cannot <laughs> because I there's no memory you see a memory is an interesting thing from when I'm painting very fast memory can't store a process it mm-hmm. can't store a linear a happening yeah 
so it's all immediate uh it's all uh free and mm. the hand movement as well i cannot predict mm. so the palette knife i have found now that i look back can be held in five six different ways by my hand and i don't know on that day at that moment which movement is going to come great great yeah but in the end i do like to use sharp black lines because i've always been fond of sort of cool clothing black jeans black shirt red belt that kind of look mm. all my life so i think a little bit of that black coolness which i've always loved black as a color comes through in the paintings there's a lot of play of dark and light but more darkness mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of depth uh and there's a lot of different nuances of the same color because again giving it depth and intensity and uh, mystery uh which i like you know so uh Yeah and it's fun because it's difficult. It's difficult with a palette knife to to work. Yeah I mean you have yeah. absolutely no control beyond a point isn't it? You just yes. have to just yes. uh, surrender to it. And I'm also interested in the titles. I think your the titles of your paintings are really interesting. And I find personally um it's so difficult to find a something that is not you know cringy or corny or something which is uh, which can let people um you know use that title to uh, go into a train of thought is there any um kind of like way that you decide on what title you use or is that something that again happens um, on its own automatically yeah so so what is interesting about the titles and the poem has the same title right okay. is that uh, my writing uh, which goes on in parallel on mm-hmm. its own nothing related directly to the painting but obviously the same brain or the same essence is producing both so they must be having some similarity i'm sure okay but when i write i'm just writing and the poems are on the website i think about 200 220 of them mm-hmm. so when i finish a painting i will then pair a poem with it that the one that goes most with it okay so that's really how it's done sometimes very rarely have i written a poem just for that painting but normally i'm able to pair them quite well because they're both coming from the same essence i mean my practice is called emptiness is full mm-hmm. uh which means that basically everything is empty it is meaningless it is purposeless and yet it is divine it is eternal it is fullness itself and it sounds like a paradox but actually they are the exact same frequency wow. because only when things are completely empty can they go completely full You see it's that halfway thing in the middle where I feel I'm here and I need this and I know what I want actually you can never know anything very much you can't know life you can't understand it you can only live it and be amazed by it and and love it i suppose so and i think nature sort of programs every brain with a few things that it's naturally so called either good at or interested in mm. and i'm always interested in color and nature and uh you know different fabrics as a teenager i used to design clothes a little bit and it's the same thing that comes in i think into the art uh, just playing with colors playing with angles playing with lines playing with depth and i find that very very beautiful to have uh, lots of different little little, little bits which are a very rich arrangement of uh, depth right so um so you were talking about uh, your um period of feeling of anxiety and going into d- deep thinking modes but has this led to some kind of a uh, resolution in your head in your um in your thinking rather with all this um 
art that you're doing. You're, you've done, I mean, it's been what, 10 years since you've started with your paintings and you've made about how many hundreds of paintings by now. So has that uh, kind of, um, is it something that is um, like a healing process for you or um, has, what, what, what kind of um, theory can you say about your practice based on your experience? Because I know your um, painting is very intrinsically connected to your thinking and your theories that you have formulated about what is true in your life. Yes. I don't um, know if my, so my question it's, was it's all, clear. It's all the same thing. It's very hard for me to separate them, mm -hmm. like separate the painting, uh, you know, separate the writing. I think it becomes a way of life because when you you know, have a shift in the brain, everything that you do then finally has to reflect that. It has to, it will take over. So I think the painting, I don't really have the words exactly, but all I would say is I love it. I mean, I just love doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably all I can say. But that doesn't mean that I do it all the time because I don't have any any routine about it. Sometimes I'm painting eight hours a day for like months Sometimes mm -hmm. the six months go by and I haven't painted at all. And sometimes I feel I'll never paint again. Right. So there is no plan to it. There's no ownership of it. There's no knowing of where it's going. There's no plan at all for it. There's no goal about it. Uh, it just comes up uh, by itself, just like clouds in the sky. I mean, who can who can say, you know, why the cloud shape is the way it is? So Do, it's Don't you get like tired of doing the same thing over and over again, though? Sorry? Don't you get tired of doing the same thing over and over? It's like it's like uh, it's like action. Uh, it's it's definitely there is um, the the act of painting itself is part of the whole um, process. But then, um, do you feel that maybe I should uh, do something else and come up with a, a different look for my work? No, no, it's never happened so far. I mean, who can say what tomorrow brings, right? Mm -hmm. So I have no prediction for myself because I don't think I own my brain or I have no intentions for myself or for anybody. But at the moment, it hasn't happened. So I think that is the thing about love, that love is always fresh, you know? Mm. It's it's always new. It can never be old or boring. So is it an embodiment uh, of love, you think? Is that what people are experiencing yeah, when they see your work? I think, I think that's, that's, what, that's what presence presence is presence is always innocent it's always innocent it doesn't have a heavy past so do you think uh, people are able to yeah people are able to see your personality in your work i mean i i, I genuinely believe that um your work definitely i mean even for any artist that their personality is reflected in their work definitely and um yeah. that comes across is that you think one of the secrets of your success <laughs> that people are able to see through you and they like you and therefore they're able to understand what you're, you're trying to say through your work i'm not sure <laughs> I'm not because sure, i keep trying I to ask people <laughs> this what is it what is it that i mean you have found amazing success you've got this um price so early on 2016 yeah. and then you've been um, um, exhibiting in so many art fairs and it has literally fallen on your lap so yeah. uh, how yeah. have you uh, kind of resolved it in your head about how it all happened because people have worked for I years and years and nothing happens yeah. ever 
No, actually, I haven't resolved it, and I don't think it needs to be because I think uh, it's not personal. You see, I the way I look at life is that nothing is personal. Mm. So I remember uh, one time I had this one bit of an aha moment. I was in London uh, for my first solo show, which was my prize for this uh, Royal Art Prize. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd got a few prizes before and I'd been there, but this was my first solo show in, you know, central London in Pall Mall, two floors of just my work. And I was okay. I mean, now I don't get very big highs or lows about anything because I feel everything is fine, everything is allowed and nothing lasts. Is it because anyway. you're so detached to it that, I mean... In a way, yeah, yeah, I think. But I did think that I had a bit of an aha moment when I was walking on Pall Mall and there was a big poster of, uh, you know, my work and my name. And I was like, oh my God, how <laughs> is this even happening? Uh, you know, so I did, I, did, I did sort of stroke my chin a little and stood there in the cold air. But then I laughed it off because I don't make uh, a big deal. Maybe that's the word. Uh, I think uh, the brain is now has been through not just this art story, but uh, other things earlier in life that have been sort of big deals or were big deals. Mm. And now it has it has it goes in and says, well, nothing is a big deal. Mm. Nothing. It, they can't be big deals in life, you know. Uh, unless, of course, we sit down with a blade of grass or a wild flower. I mean, that's a big deal. You know, everything is, is fantastic. I mean, how are the stars shining? I mean, how are we perceiving distance when there actually isn't any space or time? Mm-hmm. How do we have memory that makes things seem so heavy when all you have is a small thing in front of you? I mean, so, you know, in that sense, nothing is taken personally anymore. There is a sense of gratitude, you might say. But uh, everything is allowed. I mean, the art is happening, but I'm not thinking about it it seems to have slowed down because i don't seem to want to do art fairs and i overall feel that i can do without this uh i think the interaction with people and the uh, the industry side of art was not so interesting to me after a point yeah so we we'll talk about that no i slow down right right do you have other artists or other colleagues you can discuss this kind of because what you are saying and doing is so i feel it's really unique and not many people can be so humble and so um like uh, vulnerable and have achieved so much so in order to keep that kind of vulnerability showing through your work is it do you discuss your work with anybody at all do you have crits do you have like friends you can no, talk uh, no i don't really i mean uh, of course my family supports me and i do have some friends i i share it with but uh, i really um i look at it and i'm the one who decides whether i like it or not so in that sense i don't need anybody's approval mm. if that's the word i've never actually even visited i've never been to art school i haven't attended any art classes i don't go to museums when i travel i don't visit museums because i'm not that interested in mainstream artists art history art. at all okay yeah i don't look at art websites or you know what other artists doing i, I have no interest in that this is just a store uh, a simple product of love mm-hmm. uh, i just love doing it the palette knife moves i love picking up colors it's come together people like it okay the money goes to charity um i'm good with that you know uh, the only reason i think i've gone commercial uh, was so that i can paint more so that if it sells i get more space in the house otherwise storage is a big problem for me in singapore using oil paints and thick paints i can't right. store them i can't take them off the frame so unless they don't sell i can't keep painting right i'll stop 
Mm. And it'll be okay. I mean, I'm actually okay with stopping painting. So I'm not hung up on the story, nor am I hung up on on the writing story or even the philanthropy story. If I'm not in the mood, I may not do that. I don't, you know, hold on to it as a future plan or as anything I can tell somebody that do this and that will happen because I don't really believe in causality. You know what I mean? I, I don't believe that there are universal causes that if you do this, then that will happen to him, etc. I just feel that you should do what you love, whatever it is. And you should that should be the only reason to do it. But it's so uh, hard to believe that you don't have a framework in terms of whether it's a religion or it's a philosophy, whether it's Advaita or whether it's Buddhism. So there is no like you don't hook your thinking to any particular way of life or 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 any like um uh, regulated way of thinking is it is it something like that is, or is it a combination yes. of everything no you're right i don't like taking positions my brain doesn't like positions because mm. every time you take a position of good or bad or i do this or i don't do this then you have its opposite and then you know opposites will always uh, will always clash so i don't have strong opinions about anything nor do i have strong positions and i think it takes away my freedom mm. and it introduces stress so now my body and my brain recognizes stress very quickly and i think any time you take a hardline position on anything you will get stressed because you have to defend it oh okay uh, <laughs> Fine. You have to defend it to yourself. Yeah. You have to defend it to the world or whatever it is. So I think I just like to stay. And then it's all about the ego again, which you're trying to yeah, kind of discard. Yeah, once, once I own something, once I feel I know something, then arrogance is uh, is natural at that point. So there's mm. nothing wrong with the ego. It's just a natural, energetic uh, framework which no one can help. So this whole thing about the ego wanting to get rid of the ego is is just just nonsense. You know, it just goes away by itself at some point due to suffering. I think maybe, or some random, you know, change or shift or genetics or hormones. But it doesn't matter. They're both just energetic uh, playouts. Whether it is oneness playing out, um, which the world might say are good people, or there's ego playing out, which the world might say are murderers or rapists. But for me, they are both equal. Wow. They're both God. They're both life. Yeah, absolutely. A, a murderer doesn't uh, decide that I think I need to murder. It just happens. It's just energy, you know. Mm. And uh, you know, a saint doesn't decide that he's going to be a saint. You can't make decisions and become things. The human outside conscious mind cannot decide anything. You know, things happen, and they're always holistic. A saint always will need. I mean, the good will need the bad, so they're equal, aren't they? The good can only look good. if there is perception of bad mm, so that's true yeah the, yeah you know the day is day only because you remember the night right they so they're both equal so i don't see the world in in conflict i don't see any any problem i don't see any problem they can't be so in that sense there is a bit of freedom we need more people like you yeah deepa my goodness you're so uh, you're so wise for somebody so young actually so tell us about your charity <laughs> work So what was the charity? Yeah, work? yeah. Uh yeah, so I think the charity work was uh, also something that found me and I found that this is what I like. So it's not like I decided I should do charity or it's good to do charity. I don't think you should ever do anything that you don't think is your thing. So if you want, you know, if you want to drink, you should drink. If you don't want to do charity, you shouldn't. That's what I believe. You should be authentic and mm. true. Mm. And one is not better than the other. I mean, I don't think doing charity is better than not doing it. So I'll start with that first. So there's nothing good about this it's just a natural thing that uh, since childhood I was just um, you know compassionate person I just couldn't see 
people unhappy and if they came to me i would do whatever i could uh, with my whatever resource time money whatever it was to help them but i also don't like to make it into a habit because i like to empower people to know their own strength to know themselves as the god that we all are So what charity right. is oh. it do you have like particular so, uh, so like charity thing actually started more formally in Hong Kong when my husband and I had more money than we did when we were in India mm-hmm. and there was just somebody in our building and they were doing some collections so we started giving it to them and uh, I decided that you know we should probably contribute a certain percentage because it seemed like we had more money than we needed mm. so I, I I do believe in sharing uh, because there's no point hoarding or keeping things that you don't really need Uh, when other people don't have food to eat right so so that's how it went and then different charities found us you know people would just meet me sometimes here in my coffee shop sometimes to friends so i don't go out looking mm. for charity uh they find me and the fixed amount from my business uh, 75% profits go to charity that's a lot and from, and from my husband's work as well we've always been giving so it's a it's a reasonable sum of money that goes to about 10 12 charities but again we're not limited to that if something else catches my attention and i want to help uh, a student in a hotel where i'm sitting and having coffee in europe then i will fund his education uh that's fine you know we do stuff like that but we don't want to i don't want to get into any friendship or relationship with any of the people that uh, the money goes to mm-hmm. so i i don't interfere in their running that's their gift they run it i'm not interested in running the charities or checking where the money is going and all of that because i work on trust mm. everybody so they get the money because uh, that's what i do and um, you know they run their business and that's it so there's no story about the charity either so you were saying that you don't even have a studio in singapore because that would mean that your the the cut that you give to the charities would be reduced that's amazing i mean for somebody who um has so much work um coming to you and you have so much potential to create so much you're still limited to your uh, bedroom because you don't want the charities to be getting less than what they are getting at the moment yeah i have found that my business the way it was running and i think it's going to change now because i've stopped doing shows and i just have galleries and repeat customers right so earlier when i was doing the art fairs and i was traveling all over that would be quite a lot of cost on me right for the yeah. airplane and then taking the boxes the framing and then paying for the art fairs and things like that so i just found that uh, even though i was selling quite okay i wouldn't save anything if i was also paying rent for a studio mm. and uh, the other of course practical reason is that my work uh, style is not linear as in i don't paint every day so it's not like an office that i would go to right sometimes maybe i don't paint for months but i still have to pay the rent mm. so i didn't want to do that for that reason as well and i do have a uh, space at the moment uh, in my apartment for the size i'm doing i think i'm okay right so do you have like um, recognition and pride from your family how what do your no oh. <laughs> say about yeah. all that you've achieved yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think my my parents were always a bit surprised at my writings and they wouldn't take it seriously and they thought I was far too young to think about these things. I thought they were I think they feared that they might lose me, you know, that I might turn into a yogi or, or, or <laughs> by by nice, soul in a young nice body. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> you know. So I think when when more mainstream worldly success came, uh, of course, uh, everybody was happy. I was happy as well, but um, yeah. So, yeah, so Deepa, it, it do you have a poem um, close to you that you can read out? Oh dear. Uh 
I haven't taken anything out. Maybe I'll try to go onto my website while you're still there. Let me yeah, see. Yeah, huh? sure. You're still there, Divya. I'm here. All right. I will open the website. It's emptiness is full for anybody who wishes to see the art and the poetry. Yeah. And uh, the poems have... Uh, uh, I think they're really beautiful. Did you... Uh, do you follow any particular pattern or is that again quite um, uh, intuitive you mean pattern for the painting for the poetry for the verses for the poetry the poetry I think is always a bit about debunking um, beliefs right uh -huh. so whenever there's an aha moment I try to get my viewers or readers to also see that life can be looked at differently right there isn't just this one way of looking at life that i'm here i need this i was born i'm gonna die i should live long because it isn't about living long right it's about how deeply you live right now no but the actual you know? writing of the verse do you follow any particular way of doing it or you just just uh... no no i think it's i don't even know if it should be called poems or maybe just writings oh, okay. maybe it's called poems because it's just a word that i used but uh let me see let me uh, there used to be one anyway all right so i'm gonna now look for my glasses <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm going to make this into a live um, interview at some point maybe and then i'll contact you again all right okay so here you are so the eternal story right first you first you divide the world and then you have trouble with the parts then you think the part needs protection from other parts Finally, the part begins to search, to look for the whole it already is. Like the dog chasing its tail, the never-ending chase, always in search, always so close. Instead of finding an effect and its cause, just see that separation never was. Instead of searching with a hope to find, know that separation was only ever in the mind. So that's that. Oh, that was one. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Are you going to yeah. read more or, or uh, are we going to look at each other? The camera yeah, yeah, all yeah. Hold on, I'm here. Yes. I'm yeah. Here. yeah. So, um, yeah, Deepal, let's wind down. So what is the plan now after the quarantine and the lockdown? Do you have any projects, anything coming up? Um, I think there is a show in London at one of the galleries that represents me. Uh, that's supposed to be there, a group show. And I thought I might come down for that in November, but uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. Which gallery uh, is this, Deepa? Sorry? Which gallery is this? The uh, Galliardi. The Galliardi Gallery Galliardi. on King's okay. Road right. in Chelsea. And uh, yeah, and the other uh, gallery that I work with is an online gallery in Paris. And I think they are anyway showing the stuff and they do quite well. They're quite good. Mm -hmm. So that goes on. But no, there's nothing much else. I have... Uh, on my own slowed things down as I mentioned I haven't been signing up for art fairs and stuff so we will see how it goes but I'm still painting once in a while whenever I feel like that's fantastic it was such a pleasure talking to you all the best for your future endeavors and I will be in touch again for the next round of interviews with artists thank you lovely thank you also Divya